0: John 21 through 10, John 3:16 through 17 and Matthew 7:12. First from John 21 through 10. Early on the first day of the week while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, "They have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him." the cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Then from John 3:16 through 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Lastly, from Matthew 7:12. So in the evening, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. May God add a blessing to the reading, hearing, and understanding of God's word. You may be seated.
1: We are now in the midst of the longest shutdown of the federal government in history. In 1858, Abraham Lincoln quoted Jesus when he said a house divided against itself cannot stand. While the US is no longer divided by slavery, Americans have moved so far to the left and right that over half of Republicans and Democrats have a very unfavorable view of the other party, some even viewing the other party as a threat to our safety. Is there anything you and I can do to bring together the United States of America? The fundamental commitment is to the dignity of ordinary people. For his role in those felonies, that lawyer himself, Michael Cohen. What was one of the most single, most inspiring challenges to the
0: country If there is going to be peace and legislation, there cannot be war and investigation. (laughs) Well, bye-bye, peace.
1: So we're finishing our series, uh, United States of America, here this Easter Sunday, and every week, we watch that video, that video it seems to do a pretty good job of capturing the division in our society, doesn't it? Just the back and forth and, and the ending, bye-bye peace. It just kind of feels like we live in an anxious time where uh, we just wonder, what's, what's the answer? How do we move forward from this? We, we live in a time of widening division. It's been, uh, our country's be- uh, be- uh, been uh, becoming more polarized for the past 20 years at least. And um, we're asking ourselves in this series... Is there anything that people who want to follow Jesus can do in our own hearts, in our own relationships, and as as citizens of this country, is there anything we can do to help to bring together the United States of America? And so this is the end, uh, the the third week of that series. We've talked about uh, the anxiety that so many of us feel right now in our our society, where it just kind of feels like... You know, everywhere we turn, there are political disagreements and arguments from cable news to awkward extended family dinners. You know, past the turkey turns into a rant about politics, right? You go to have a, a dinner with family and all of a sudden, you know, politics comes up and it turns into Game of Thrones. And you're like, what in the world? I thought this was Thanksgiving. And, and it just seems like everywhere we go, we're surrounded by anger and, and fighting and judgment and anxiety. And we talked about uh, the need to refuse to look at each other with contempt. Contempt is to look down on somebody who disagrees with us or who is different than us, as though they're somehow less than us. They have a different opinion. They voted differently, so they're somehow less than us. And so we talk about refusing contempt, and maybe uh, if we're willing to get rid of contempt, maybe we can see people more as equals, and we don't feel so fearful of them. If we cannot look down on people so much who disagree with us, maybe we won't feel so much anxiety. We won't feel like they're a threat if we're willing to change the way that we view other people. Now, that's not to say that everybody just agrees uh, or we should pretend like we're agreeing or that there aren't issues we should speak, up, uh, speak out about. Of course we should. Of course you should express an opinion or and vote, of course, or march or protest or whatever you feel like you need to do to express your conscience. But the way we do it makes all the difference in the world. And so this series is about uh, how we, as people who want to follow Jesus... Uh, can help to bring together the United States of America. Now, um, when I was growing up, I shared a little bit about this last week, we have a lot of new folks here, when I was growing up, uh, I was raised on a steady diet of Christian TV, and I have the therapy bill to prove it, alright, I, I have the scars to prove it, and so uh, Christian TV was on, uh, was on in my home every day, and I saw that Christian TV was actually very political, and, do you, does anybody know what I'm talking about? Have you seen some, some shows on Christian TV? It can be very political. And I didn't realize that at the time. I didn't realize there was a political bent until, until I got older. But I was raised in that atmosphere of this hyper-political fusion of, of religion and modern American politics. And coinciding with my life, pretty much, there has been a decline in church attendance in the United States. And when we ask folks who have left church, or folks who, you know, maybe thought about it, but they're like, no thanks. Why, why have you left, or why, why are you not interested in the first place? It's not a secret. It's, it's not a mystery. They, they don't keep it a secret why. They say things like,
0: man,
1: Christians are just too, too close uh, with, with partisan politics. There's this fusion of religion and politics, and it just feels like, it feels like everything's a fight, and I feel like they're anti-science, or they're anti-women, or they're anti-gay, or just anti, anti-intellectual, anti-something. There's this fight going on, this culture war. And if that's what it means to be a Christian, I'm just not interested in that. I don't want to come to church and, just, and, and have it feel like the military all the time. I just, I just don't, I don't want to have a, a kind of religion that is so fused with politics right now. And so church attendance has declined at the same time that we've seen this increased fusion of religion and politics. So starting next week, we're going to address some of the questions that people have about faith, not politics anymore. But next week, we're going to start addressing questions like this. Is Christianity really anti-science? When you read uh, the Bible, do you, do you have to be anti-science to be a Christian? Can a Christian believe in evolution? We're going to talk about questions like that. What about, what about the Bible and women? Uh, you know, the first uh, uh, leaders in our faith in Genesis and Exodus, they're called the patriarchs. And so in, 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 in that time, of course, that was normal, but we're realizing, well, we, we live in a patriarchal time still, but that's changing. So how does the Bible view women? And so we're going to talk about some issues like that in this series called In the Beginning that starts next week, uh, Genesis for Normal People. And we're going into, isn't that like a presumptuous title, Genesis, like I don't know if I'm normal or not, right? But we, we, we want to have an approach where people feel like, you know, they're thinking people, they have questions, and they can come and they can feel like their questions are heard. And they can maybe look at the Bible in a new way. And so that's where we're starting uh, next week in the series in the beginning. I'll invite you back to that. And then about a week and a half from now, we're starting uh, what we call a Connect group. It starts uh, Wednesday, May 1st. And we're going to study a book called Genesis for Normal People by Pete Enns and Jared Bias. And so if you'd like to have uh, more information about that group, text Connect to that number. It'll send you an email with all the details. You want to buy your book online, and we'll start that that, uh, group you know, diving in deeper May 1st, and then on May 19th, we're welcoming uh, one of the authors of that book, Jared Bias, to be uh, our special guest speaker. All right, so we're finishing up United today. Uh, there was an article uh, published in The Atlantic a couple of months ago called Americans Strongly Dislike PC Culture, about the division in our society, and obviously that title, you know, that, that comes with a, a slant too, but uh, it was based on a study by a British research group on American culture. So the Brits are like looking at Americans with, a, with them under a microscope and just finding it fascinating. And so the British did a study on American culture and they found that 6% of Americans are conservative activists. 6% are conservative activists. They're, they're outspoken and activistic about their conservative beliefs. They found that about 8% of Americans are progressive activists. They're outspoken and, and activistic about their progressive beliefs. That's 14%. The remaining 86% of Americans, they said, are somewhere in between. And they said most of these people are what the study called the exhausted majority. Can you identify with that phrase at all? The exhausted. Don't you just want to say it like that? The exhausted majority. The, The time we live in can be so fatiguing. And you can grow so tired of the constant political back and forth and the games and the fighting and the disagreement. Maybe you're just tired of it and you feel... Like you just wish you could be better. But here's something we know about the path we're on. The video showed the widening division, as you saw those you know, Republicans and Democrats, liberals and conservatives moving farther apart. And we know about American politics, that American politics function like a pendulum. If you look, think of an old grandfather clock and the pendulum swinging back and forth, back and forth. We can see that all the way through American history. And no matter who the US president is at the time, U.S. presidents are temporary. They have four or eight years, or, and, and then it's, it's on to somebody else. And as we look back over American history, we can see that pendulum swinging, can't we? Back and forth between presidents. So th- just think about the past 20, 25 years. Think about the difference between George H.W. Bush and Bill Clinton. Right? There's a difference. Two different guys for sure. Right? There's, a, there's a difference there. And then think about the pendulum swinging back and forth. Think about the difference between Bill Clinton and George W. Bush. A little bit farther, right? Would you agree? Pendulum swinging a little bit farther. Think about the difference between George W. Bush and Barack Obama. Pretty different people, right? That pendulum swinging a little bit. You know where this is going next. Anybody have any guesses? Think about the difference between Barack Obama and Donald Trump. right? My arms aren't quite long enough to express the pendulum swinging. Now, if we see that trend... And if you agree that the pendulum keeps, it seems to be swinging farther and farther back and forth over the past 20 to 25 years. Here's a question. What's next? What's next? Let's say that you love the current president. If the pendulum keeps swinging, chances are the next president is going to be the total opposite of the current president. Right? Somebody who's a total nerd, never gets attention, and has nothing to do with Twitter. Right? Just completely opposite. So how, how would you feel if you love the current president, and we stay on this path of this, of this widening division and wild pendulum swings, how would you feel if the next president is the most liberal president we've ever had in history? How does that sound to you? Let's say you're, you're troubled by the current president, and maybe you'd love the next president. Well, here's a question. What about the president after the next president? If that pendulum just keeps swinging more and more wildly back and forth, wider and wider, what if, the, if you don't like the current president, what if the president after the next president makes you feel like 2019 was the good old days? These are serious questions we need to ask ourselves because that's the reality. We can, we can see that clearly as we look over the past you know, 20, 25 years. And so, what do we do uh, on, this, uh, on this path where we, where we see the division widening more and more and more? I think Easter has something to, to say to that. I think the message of the resurrection of Jesus has something to say to that. When I was a kid, I remember going to church and uh, I felt a little confused about Easter. I loved Christmas. I got Christmas. I had no trouble understanding Christmas. We got presents and it was great and the food was there. You know, I, I love Christmas. I had a little trouble understanding Easter. Because we'd go to church, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, five, six years old, and we would sing all these victorious songs about Jesus raising from the dead and how everything's changed and everything's, yeah, 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 it's like a touchdown in a football game, and then I looked around at the world and I thought, you know, things don't look any different to me. Am I alone in that? This Easter cell, maybe I am actually, judging by the silence, uh-oh, the pastor needs to work some things out. I, I would look around and think, wait, I hear all these victorious songs and joy, 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 happy, happy, joy, joy, and, and then it just seems like the world's still a pretty dark place. And so the Easter, am I really alone in that? The Easter message, good. I, I didn't think so. But that Easter message seems to be lost sometimes. Like, we're, Wait a second, like everything's so great, but there are so many uh, dark things still happening in the world. And it took me four years of seminary and 50 grand and student loans to kind of come to, kind of come to some understanding in my own, my own mind. What does the resurrection of Jesus mean in the here and now, in the real world? With, you know, it was a bombing in Sri Lanka that killed over 200 people this morning. They were in church, and, right? And a mosque was burned down, a church, and a Louisiana church was burned down. And what, is it, what does the resurrection of Jesus really mean in this world? And I think it, I think it means something. Uh to the division that we're feeling right now. Jesus was crucified by the Roman Empire. Here's what we know. Jesus was crucified by the Roman Empire who had been occupying his homeland for longer than he had been alive. And the Romans crucified people they viewed as a threat to their order, the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. What that meant was, if you stepped out of line, they killed you. And that's how they kept the peace. That was their definition of peace. And so he was crucified like so many thousands of people. And crucifixion was meant to uh, inflict the maximum amount of pain on somebody for as long as possible before killing them. And so people would hang on the cross for days. And it was like a billboard. Like, this is what happens when you cross the Roman Empire. And it's, it's not meant to just, to just punish somebody, it's meant to shame somebody. It's meant to send a message that we are here to defeat you. We win, you lose. You get shamed. We look victorious. It's our way or the highway. If you get out of line, we get what we want. You get nothing. Thanks for playing. That's the Roman way. And that's what the cross meant. The Apostle Paul, when he talked about why Jesus was raised from the dead, he viewed it like this. And there are actually some different voices. Scripture speaks with different voices about why Jesus was raised from the dead. It's fascinating. The Apostle Paul looks at it like this. He says the resurrection was God's way of vindicating Jesus. That God saw, uh, and of course Jesus is God in the flesh, Christians believe, and, and the Son of God, and, and, but Jesus in Philippians 2, he was obedient. He humbled himself, even to the point of death on the cross. And Paul says, because of this, God raised him to the highest place and, and gave him a name above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. And to Paul, the resurrection means God the Father looks at Jesus he looks at his life, his teaching, his death on the cross, and God looks at Jesus and he says, that's what I'm talking about. The, the Romans have it wrong. This idea that we're going to shame people and we win and you lose and we're going to defeat you, that's an illusion. That is not real. That is not how life works on this planet. It's not how life works for humans. The way of Jesus, what Jesus has shown, that's the way it's done. And God raises him, and the resurrection is a statement from the Creator from the ultimate authority in the universe this is this is what christians believe it's what the resurrection means that the way of jesus is better than the way of caesar and the roman empire that's what the resurrection means and so this week i had some work done on my truck and my truck's 10 years old it's got one hundred and seventy thousand miles on it and i took it into the dealership and they uh i mean you got to appreciate that i mean they gave me a loaner that was a brand new 2019 version of my truck all leather, 50 grand truck. So I'm, I'm taking in my 10 year old, you know, beater. I get this loaner that's a brand new truck. Now it's super courteous to them, but at the same time I'm thinking it's a great sales technique. Cause I'm driving around thinking, why am I driving the beater around when I could be having this, right? So it's kind of a subtle way of saying, your truck is old, right? Buy this one. And so had that for like a week, and then went back to the dealership to pick up my truck after it was fixed. And when I saw the truck, it was super dirty. Like we got some rain about a week ago, some raindrops. And you know what happens to the car? It just kind of leaves those dirt spots all over the truck. And so I picked up the truck and I was driving home. I thought, I'm just going to run through the car wash before I get home and get it cleaned up. And then I immediately thought, no, nope. I'm not going through the car wash tonight. Why? Because I have a three-year-old little boy who absolutely loves going through the car wash he wasn't with me and so I thought you know what tomorrow I'm going to pick up my little boy Grady and and we're going to go to the car wash together now why why didn't I the car was dirty The truck was dirty why didn't I want to get it washed why did I want to wait for him because I love him and it gives him such joy to go through the car wash like, he's wide-eyed. The, the, the brushes hit the car, and he's like, whoa. Like, it's like the, the scientist looking at a black hole. That's him going through a car wash. Like, it's just this awe-inspiring experience. And I, there is no way in the world I would deprive him of that experience. Why? Because I love him. And I get enjoyment when he gets enjoyment. And I, I just love seeing him happy. And the, and the look of joy on his face. When we look at scriptures like John 3.16 that Annie read and, and Matthew 7.12, what they tell us is, you know, God so loved the world, right, that he gave his only son on the cross. You could just as easily put your name in where, where the word world is. You could just substitute your name. For God so loved Melanie that he gave his one and only son. For God so loved Pam that he gave his one and only son. For God so loved Matt that he gave his one and only son. You just put your name in there. In your own mind, I wonder if you would do that right now. Did you just say that to yourself in your own For God so loved me, my name, Ryan, that he gave his one and only son. Because the resurrection, if we accept the resurrection as it's presented in scripture, it changes how we see things. Not the way of Rome, no, no, no. The way of Jesus, that's the way to do it. And Jesus says, God loves you so much that he gave Jesus. So you, first of all, it changes the way you see yourself. You are someone who is loved by God. That's your identity. Full stop. If you want to follow Jesus, if you believe in the resurrection, if you want to, you know, be open to the Easter message, you are somebody who is loved by God. And maybe as you, and during the prayer time, you thought about the past week or the past year. And what your experience of life has been like. I know people, you know, they have a bad boss that just grates on them. I, I talked to someone who had a panic attack, you know, just because of this manager at work. And so the Easter message would say to you, so you've got a middle manager at work who doesn't like you that, that much. And that's painful. That stinks. But here, here's the real story. You are loved by the creator of the universe. Full stop. That's who you are. You're loved, by, you're loved by the Creator, you're loved by the person who raised Jesus. That's your identity. That's who you are. You're somebody who is loved by God. Right? If you believe in the resurrection, you're somebody who is loved. I'm loved. And after 9 11, I realized John 3:16 is an anti-terrorism verse. Recently, I've realized that John 3:16 is an anti-Nazism verse. Because not only does the resurrection and, and God's love cause us to see ourselves differently, it causes us to see other people differently. Because we realize if God loves us that much, then he loves everybody else the same way. And when God loves the world, there, there are people who want to detonate bombs because they hate the world and they want to watch the world burn. That's what caused the bombings last night in Sri Lanka. There are people who they just want to inflict pain, as much pain as possible, like the Romans. there Lately, we've seen a resurgence in people who think that there's a superior race. And, and we've seen this resurgence of things we fought in World War II. And, and John 3.16 is also an anti-Nazi verse. Because if God loves the world, he doesn't love one race more than the other. He doesn't love one political party more than the other. He doesn't love one voter more than the other. He loves everybody. So it starts with the resurrection changes how I see me. I'm somebody who's loved by God. And then it also changes how I see other people. That they are also somebody who is loved by God. And the truth is, God loves them as much as God loves me. And so if we understand the message of the resurrection, the message of Easter, man, we're already getting somewhere. When it comes to the division we face in our society, the widening gap, no, we're not going to agree on everything. Of course not. It's that's, that's okay. It's good not to. The discussions, the discussions are good, but if God loves me and God loves everybody else just the same way he loves me, well, that has implications now for how we treat each other, how we relate to each other going into an election season. I can still express my opinion. I can still write whatever I want on Facebook. I can, I can, vote, I can do whatever I want, but the way I do it makes all the difference in the world because I'm somebody who's loved by God and so is everybody else even the people who disagree with me. And so the resurrection uh, shows us also uh, how to see other people differently. Well, if you believe in the resurrection, um, part of seeing other people differently is uh, understanding them a little bit better. I've been some studies over the past few years that, and this is completely fascinating to me, and I think we're just like on the cusp of understanding this and what this means for our lives. If I were to ask you if you value diversity, my guess is you would say yes. Right? That You value ethnic diversity, gender diversity, diversity, all kinds of ways. You say yes, you value diversity. It's, it's beginning to appear from at least some, some really well-known studies over the past couple of years that the conservative and liberal brain is different. That conservatives and liberals actually have brains that function a little bit differently. They've been running all kinds of tests, we don't have time to get into that, but the conservatives, they, they, they perceive the world differently than liberals, and liberals differently than conservatives. They have different visceral reactions, immediate reactions to stimuli. Conservatives and liberals have different reactions they can't even control. Bef- you know, in, in the deep, the re- some reptilian parts of our brains, before it even hits the neocortex, we have reactions we can't even control that makes us different. So what if conservative and liberal is another form of diversity? Just like ethnic diversity, just like gender or orientation, or what if conservative and liberal is actually just another form of diversity? And it actually makes us all better if we rub elbows a little bit more. Now, of course we're not going to agree. Of course not. This isn't naive. This isn't kumbaya. Of course not. But what if... And, and barring the people who are just shouting as loudly as possible and calling each other names, what if some sensible, exhausted majority could start to say, hey, you know, I'm loved by God, you're loved by God, we're different, and maybe we actually need each other to create the best future possible. Maybe we actually need to talk, and it's hard. And it's, it's you know, America right now is kind of like a couple that's on the, on the way to divorce and they go to see a counselor, and they're like facing away from each other. And it's hard to even know how to start talking. That's, that's kind of what America feels like right now. But what if, what if we can actually turn towards each other and start to agree on some terms and have some conversations in this, in, in this country? Man, we could create a great future. And for us, as followers of Jesus, based on our, our understanding of the resurrection, helps us to see ourselves and other people differently. A couple of the biggest mov- movies this year, uh, we're f- focused on musical artists. So A Star Is Born, who had Lady Gaga, and then Bohemian Rhapsody, the Sword of Queen and, and Live Aid. And, and um, so uh, I want to show you a video here in a second of a young woman named Stephanie. And I think this is maybe 2006. Um, and this is Stephanie gigging with her band at some bar in New York City, just like she did every week. She schlepped her equipment around and set up her keyboard And this is a cover song of Zeppelin. And uh, this is just how she was trying to make a living and make it in in the music business. And um, you can see that she's talented, but nobody could fully see what she would become. And so I want to show you this video of Stephanie. It's about 45 seconds long. Check it out. Good, right? Who knows Stephanie's stage name? Who is it? We have a hand. I felt like I should call on you. Like, yes? She's very courteous. Lady Gaga. Yeah. That's Stephanie. And I think it was like two or three years later, she was Lady Gaga. If you watch the rest of this video, my favorite thing is most of the video, the camera's pointed at the guitarist. Like it must have been the guitarist's girlfriend, like holding the camera or something. Like, isn't he so cute up there? And she doesn't realize, right? I mean, obviously, this girl's talented. But, I mean, you can see that. So you can kind of see, hey, she's moving in the right direction here. But you, you can't see the full story, can you? I, that's, she's about to become this pop icon in just a couple of years. Seeing, seeing the resurrection feel, kind of feels like that. And its implications for people who say we want to follow Jesus, it kind of feels like, well, I can see that this is going in the right direction, but I can't fully see what it looks like. I can't fully see what it would look like you know, for, for this, kind of a, this kind of a spirit to kind of overcome America, and your family, and your friendships, and the awkward dinners, and, and the Facebook posts, and the pithy comments on Twitter. It, it's tough. Yeah, I, I know this is kind of going in the right direction. Yeah, I'm loved, other people are loved, but I can't fully see it. Maybe it's something like that. What if we, what if we really believed and we just kept on doing the right things and kept on hauling the keyboard around to different bars. And we just committed you know what, other people, I'm loved by God, they're loved by God, I'm going to treat that person with respect, as somebody who's loved by God. I'm not, when, they, when they're making political comments that are, you know, provoking me, I'm not going to attack back. I can express my opinion, but I'm going to do it as somebody who's loved and, and I know they're loved too. Right? And what if we just kept doing that? Where would that lead us? Maybe to some amazing place that we've never imagined before. Right? Because the resurrection can help us to see differently. We don't see the full picture, but it can point us in the right direction. And last, the resurrection helps you to see God differently. And, and here we are on Easter, and we say around here, the well is a, is a safe place to express your questions and your doubts. You're free, you're free to express your faith and your doubts in this church. And when we talk about the resurrection, we have skeptical people. You know, and, and the pastor said some nice things about loving other people. And, but what do I really believe about uh, all this? And it's okay. It's okay to be honest about where you are. And, and if you're skeptical even about the resurrection. We live in a different time than, than Scripture was written. Certainly the Gospels. The Gospels were written in the, in the Roman Empire again. And the Romans, uh, they love Greek culture. And so we call it the Greco-Roman world. And they viewed miracles much differently than we do. They were used to resurrections. People in the Greco-Roman world, if Jesus didn't raise, they'd be like, psh, that's all you got? Come on. You got you to have something better than that. They expected a resurrection. And our culture doesn't work that way. We live post-scientific revolution. The kind of th- things we're going to talk about starting next week in the, in the beginning series. And so for us, you know, we look at somebody being crucified and then raising from the dead, and we just kind of look at that incredulously, And then we talk about, well, what could the resurrection mean? And I'm not sure I believe. And and then I'm loved. And how how does all that work out? In the Bible, if you're a skeptical person, if you're a thinking person, in the Bible, the miracle is never the point. The actual presentation of what happened is never the point. What counts, what is the point, is the the meaning of the miracle. The miracle is not the point. What what counts in scripture is the meaning of the miracle. If somebody was brutally killed on a Friday afternoon in 2019 and then somehow early Sunday morning they in the morgue they they resuscitated and raised from the dead. The the headlines on every, you know, every news app would not be the long-awaited Messiah, the Son of God, has risen from the dead. That's not, that's not how 2019 America or the post-scientific world would would react to that. What would happen to that? If that really if that happened, what would happen to that person? They would be subjected to medical tests for the rest of their lives. Am I right? And, and like, how did this happen? And then there would be endless debates about, was the was person gone? And, what, and how did, could we do this again? And, and, and then somebody would try it on a pig brain, apparently. That's what we're doing now. If you've seen, and, and so like what the what happens is not the point, but it's the meaning that we're given about, about the resurrection. What does the resurrection mean to us? That's uh, that's what it meant then, is what it means now. And so uh, it's easy to, and, and especially in the divided culture we live in, to create God in our own image. And to assume that Jesus is like us. And we can say we believe and and, and that we want to be Christians. And then really what we do is we just kind of follow our culture and the widening division. And we we come back at people just like everybody else does. Um, Anne Lamott said, you can safely assume you've made God into your image when it turns out God hates all the same people you do. Isn't that brilliant? It's so easy to come to church on a Sunday morning and talk about the resurrection. And, oh, yeah, I believe Jesus was raised from the dead, but we don't understand what it means. And, and even beyond that, be informed by what it means and how I live. And how I see everything and how I see myself, other people, God. That's what the Romans did who crucified Jesus. If, if, if I'm just going to believe that I can defeat you. We can defeat the other party. We win an election and it's all over and, and nobody ever disagrees with us again. And all the policies we want get passed. And then what happens four years later? They just undo all the things that you tried to put into law. That's, that's, that's kind of how it feels right now. There's there's this idea that I can defeat people and stamp them out, and we'll win, and they'll go away, and that pendulum just keeps swinging wider and wider and wider because that's that's all that needs uh, that's all that leads to. You know, we punch and they counterpunch. Mike Tyson said, "Plans are great until you get punched in the face," and, and that's just punching and counterpunching back and back and forth. A blogger named Jonathan uh, Stortman writes that Jesus showed us something better than that. This is a long quote. just invite you to track with it. He says, I've noticed that Jesus tends to vote the same way I do. He's never against a war that I'm for, and he's rarely interested in calling me towards self-sacrifice and mercy to people different than me. That's the Jesus that I'm most comfortable with, and it's most certainly an idol. It means putting something else in the place of God. And then he quotes the theologian N.T. Wright, who's a New Testament theologian in England. He says, "I like the way N.T. Uh, Wright uh, talks about how to deal with letting Jesus stand on his own." My proposal is not that we know what the word God means and manage to somehow fit Jesus into that. Instead, I suggest that we historically think about a young Jew possessed of a desperately risky, indeed apparently crazy vocation, riding in Jerusalem in tears, denouncing the temple, and dying on a Roman cross. And we somehow allow our meaning for the word God to be recentered around that point. And then Jonathan says, in other words, and this is something Philip Yancey wrote in a book called What's So Amazing About Grace. This is just a quote of the century right here. The scandal is not that Jesus is like God. The scandal is that God is like Jesus. He's a God who picked a certain place in time and entered into it. He came to show us who he really was and who he really wasn't. And so what does the resurrection tell us about God? We see ourselves differently. We see other people differently. What does it tell us about God? God loves. God loves. First John 4 8 says God is love. And so if you've been repulsed by the loudest Christians that you see in the media, and you feel like, oh, I'm not sure that's really what Jesus is like. I'm not sure they really represent Jesus. I think you might be on to something. Because God loves. Sometimes there's tough love. Right? We all need guidance. We're not saying we're not saying everything's right, or of course not. We we want to grow as people and become better. But God loves. For God so loved. The resurrection, what it tells us about God is that God loves. And if you believe in the resurrection, you believe I'm somebody who was loved by God. For God so loved, insert your name, that he gave his one and only son. And it's not just me. God loves everybody like that. And so when it comes to disagreeing about political things, here's the takeaway. You can disagree with someone and still love them. Anybody want to say amen to that? You can disagree with someone and still love them. Disagreements don't have to lead to hate. It's okay to disagree. Arthur Brooks, who I quoted earlier, um, about contempt, he wrote this book called Love Your Enemies, and found that one in six Americans says they no longer talk to a family member after the 2016 election. And he said, uh, we don't have to stop disagreeing. We just need to learn how to disagree better. Disagreements don't have to lead to hate. And so when the Notre Dame Cathedral caught on fire this week, and we lost some things, that we were 800 years old, and, and there was like this this public mourning, it's because of the history, and and, and the beauty and, and the inspiration that that represented. The bell towers remain standing, and, and already there are donations to rebuild this cathedral. Something comes crashing down. We lose something. There's a death already. There's talk of a resurrection. These Louisiana churches were burned by an arsonist. There's talk of how do, how do we rebuild those? How do, those? how do those congregations come back from what they've experienced? I think you could ask Tiger Woods about resurrection and comeback couldn't you this week right and the whole pga tour anytime you say tiger their ratings go straight up like they're 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 loving life right now right? a pastor i used to work with said a setback is just to set up for a comeback and maybe you could identify with that maybe you feel like it's friday or it's saturday well what does a resurrection mean for you it means you're somebody who's loved by god and god has plans for your worst day doesn't have to be your last day and god loves everybody else like that too and so in our, in our divided time, what does it look like to express myself and, and, to, and not be silent? Because silence only helps the oppressor. We don't need to be silent. But express myself but do it in a way that reflects my belief in the resurrection. That God loves that person too. Like God loves me. What would it look like? I think to believe in the resurrection would lead us to becoming a little more united. As a country, maybe with our family and friends, as much as is possible, as much as it depends on us, that we could be more of a United States of America. I want to invite you to pray with me.